Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, there isn't enough room in your mind for both worry and faith. You must decide which one will live there. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a political reason. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website, chat board. So, Jonathan, subject for today, what is it? Well, Rick, our question is, am I a double-minded Christian? And our theme text is found in James chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so the question is, am I a double-minded Christian? And here's the thing. We all want to be successful at whatever it is that we are focusing on. Our Christian life is no exception, though the words we use to describe success are entirely different than the other with other endeavors. We, we want to be faithful. We want to live lives of sacrifice. We want to walk in Jesus' footsteps. All of these things equate to the Christian version of experiencing victory in life. So regardless of the words or the effort, how do we attain such an end? How do we arrive. One short phrase will get us started. Simple phrase. Be single-minded. Have your vision clear and your energy directed. Now look, this is no easy task for most of us struggle with these very disciplines. It's, it's far too easy to end up distracted and double-minded. It's far too easy to start and not finish. It's far too easy to rationalize our way out of triumph. So how do we do it? How do we put habitual, double-minded thinking behind us and instead reach forward toward true achievement? So, Jonathan, it's really about what goes on inside that head of yours. This is a personal challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and both you and I have to, to look at it that way. What's going on inside that head of mine? Is it being truly single-minded in terms of being a Christian, not just being single-minded for the things that I want to do, but am I being single-minded in a spiritual way, not just any way? So you're right. It's a personal challenge, and folks, we want this to be a personal challenge for you as well. So let's get started. Let's just jump right in with a soundbite from brendanburchard.com. He did a uh, a YouTube segment um, presentation called How to Stay Focused. And we're just pulling some parts out as we go through our our podcast today. And this really kind of puts things in perspective as to deciding what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and making that choice. How do you stay focused? Answering this question is perhaps the most important critical thing you will ever do in your lifetime, period. 
So I hope it is an absolute priority for you to learn to take back your focus in life, for you to get more distinct and more clear about what your focus really is, and for you to finally decide, you know what, if I don't finally get my focus in check, if I keep wandering around distracted, if I keep looking at every new thing that pops up, if I keep trying every single new opportunity, if I keep saying yes to everything, if I keep listening to everybody's complaints, and if I keep doing whatever they ask me to do, at some point, you'll lose your life. And I don't mean that physically as in harm or death. I mean that one day you'll wake up and say, I don't feel like I've accomplished what's meaningful to me. And, you know, that's, a, that's such a great place for us to start. One day that happens to so many of us. You wake up and you say, has it all been worth it? What have I done? What have I accomplished? Where have I gotten to? What was I thinking originally? How did I get here? And what's the difference? And a lot of times it's pretty depressing, the answers. You're right, Rick. So we, we want to be clear. We want to learn how to stay focused. And, you know, that's a hard thing. And fortunately for us, we're not the only ones in history to have this question. It's not like, you know, Jonathan and Rick are struggling and saying, you know, we got this really unique problem. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. It's everybody deals with this problem in one way or another. So let, let's begin by defining what double-mindedness looks like. And we're going to go back to our theme scripture. Jonathan, you already read it, but let's go back to it again. James 1, verses 7 and 8. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so what does double-minded mean? You know, let's get some context for the idea of double-minded. First of all, in terms of of the Greek language, Jonathan, what is double-minded in James 1, 7 and 8? Well, Rick, it means two-spirited, that is, vacillating in opinion or purpose. Okay, two-spirited, and, and I like that definition because you've got two different things going on. You're of one spirit or of another spirit. So this is a broad-based description of one who relies on two different kinds of influence to try and take a stand. Relying on two different kinds of influence to try to take a stand. So let's suggest that to be double-minded means that you do not fully stand for a focused perspective. Okay? If you're not fully standing for a focused perspective, that means you're double-minded. Instead, you lean toward that perspective or voice support for that focused perspective, but you don't really live that support. And Rick, a lot of us take the path of least resistance because it's easier. You're right. And we are taught in the world in which we live that that's the path that we should take because really it's all about me, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you mean, no? <laughs> and that's, that's where so many of the difficulties arise. The path of least resistance. We need to take the path that gets us there. Who cares what the resistance is? The path that gets us there. That is, so it's not necessarily the path of most resistance, and it's a, the path that, because of your focus, is going to get you there. Let's go to um, an, another quick little soundbite here. Uh, move forward each day by 1%. This is from something called Absolute Motivation. And uh, I, I believe speaking in this, was uh, Michael Jordan's college basketball coach, if I remember right. So let's listen up here. The body has limitations. The mind does not. 
We focus so much on what goes on from the neck down that we forget it all starts from here. Everything starts from here. If you're not mentally ready, you're never really physically prepared. And that's where the preparation starts. I firmly believe that everybody in this room, everybody on this planet has a gift. It's your job to figure out what that gift is. Then it becomes your job to decide whether you're going to act on that or not. Everyone sees the work that you put in, but it's what you don't see is going to determine how far you're going to get. And so, you know, he's talking about, obviously, talking about sports and, and athletes and so forth, and, and the difference between mind and body and how so much of the battle of success in something like a sport in athletics is in your head. It's not what you have physically. That is a big part of it, but it's driven by something so much bigger and so much so much more difficult to put your, your hands on, and that's the, 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 the state of mind that you are competing in. A- and as a Christian, Rick, what should our state of mind be to keep our focus? Well, and, and that, that's an important question because our state of mind needs to be really, really clearly on the mission, whatever the mission is. We're going to develop that as we go. But, you know, the idea of being double-minded is we can have the calling of Christ. We can say that we're Christians. We can follow after Christ. We can say we walk in Jesus' footsteps, but we can be messing it up because we are not really staying with it. What you say isn't necessarily what you're doing. And when I say you, I mean me, okay? What I say isn't necessarily what I'm doing. So let's take a look at a couple of examples of this. Elijah is a good example. He defines double-mindedness related to deciding your direction. Now, the context of this is when uh, Ahab is calling him out, or he's calling Ahab out, I forget which was which, and uh, they're getting ready for this big showdown. And it's Elijah standing on one side, and then the 450 uh, prophets of Baal on the other side, and then there are 300 servants behind them. And Elijah's looking at the people who've gathered around for this showdown. And here's what he says, 1 Kings uh, 18, 21 and 22. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So the odds were really stacked against Elijah. It really didn't look very good here. I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And so, but Elijah is saying to the people, look, what are you hesitating for? You need to make a decision. Are you going to follow God? If God is God, you should follow him. I mean, this is pretty simple math. If God is the God that you believe in, follow him. If Baal's the God that you want to believe in, okay, make your choice. But choose. Don't hesitate. Don't, don't limp between these two opinions. The people perhaps wanted to follow God, but, you know, they look at the circumstances. They look at Elijah as one man, and they see 450 guys on the other side. Yeah, it's <laughs> scary to pick Elijah's side. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you got the, the other side so overwhelmed. Right. And it is. It was overwhelming. The odds were ridiculously overwhelming. So maybe with their hearts, they're saying, okay, we know that God is God. But with their head, they're looking at this and saying, this doesn't compute. The odds don't look good. And they ended up being double-minded because it says the people didn't say a word. They were quiet. They didn't know. They wouldn't commit themselves. That's where double-mindedness comes from. You can have it in your heart, but if you don't do something about it, then the double-mindedness appears. Jesus teaches us how, to, how our focus will relate to what we uh, um, really value. Okay, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so let's be clear. Jesus is putting our mindfulness in order. He's talking about treasures. Now, we, we talked, it wasn't that, that long ago. We did a whole uh, podcast on, on, you know, what are your treasures? What do you treasure? What we treasure is what, we, what our heart holds close to us. That's what we treasure. You know, it, it's something that me, has an internal meaning that touches you deeply. What our hearts hold close um, is based on what we clearly choose to value. Now, here's the thing. It's, you know, I'm saying that well, it's what you clearly choose to value, but sometimes we end up treasuring things that we haven't given that much thought to. Good point. And you say, well, if you clearly choose to value it, then how is it that you could have be choosing to value it because you haven't given it much thought? And the answer is because you're going by your gut feeling on a matter. So your gut is driving you towards something, but and, and, and you're valuing it without giving it a lot of mental consideration, but your gut is involved with it. It, it wants it. It's, it's human desire. So an, an indecisive, double-minded choice brings a dramatically devalued treasure. Okay? What we're saying is, if we're Christians and we are going to be double-minded, then that which we treasure is not going to have nearly the same value as it, it could potentially have. And it could also hurt us. Yeah. Because we didn't put thought into it. Right. Right. How's, how is this for my spiritual growth and development? Yeah. It's, it's, it puts us into a place where we really need to look at things and say, okay, something's got to give here. And with that double-minded choice, with that, that, that devalued treasure... What ends up happening is, and let's, let's be blunt, our Christianity should be our greatest treasure. Should be. Amen. Okay? Amen. Following after Jesus. You can be treasuring a corrupted Christianity because you are being double-minded in your treasuring. So do you want to be treasuring a corrupted form of Christianity or do you want the real thing? And it really comes down to what am I going to focus on? Because what I focus on is what I'm ultimately going to end up getting in life. So, Jonathan, we have to be utterly clear. Single-minded, but being double-minded is natural. We're pulled this way and that way, and we're going to get into 
all the ways we get pulled in different directions with our with our mindedness as we go through each uh, each segment. We're going to be talking about our personal experiences, our experiences in fellowship. We're going to be talking about experiences with the people around us, and then just the way we look at the world in general. So let, let's wrap up this segment with a mindfulness lesson. What what would that be? Double mindedness can occur when heart and mind are not together. Okay. If our heart and mind are not together, we're going to end up being double-minded. That's not a very good place for us to be. We have to be really careful if that's where we're going to end up going in terms of of our lives. So, the whole idea of being double-minded seems like a pretty easy thing to follow. It is. It's too easy. So how can we avoid double-mindedness in relation to our own personal and individual experience? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row, really easy playlist features, and you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. You know, the best place to start tackling any double-minded thinking is right at home in our own personal lives. As Christians, we need to carefully think through where our heads and hearts are first and foremost in relation to how we see ourselves. Self-perception will always dictate outward perceptions. Self-perception always dictates our outward perceptions. So let's take a moment here. Let's go back to how to stay focused with Brendan Burchard uh, from brendanburchard.com. Uh, and, you know, he talked about the most important thing that you'll ever do is, is making the decision to stay focused. So now we're getting into some of the practicalities of how would you do that? How do you go about staying focused? And, and the first thing that he's going to bring up is something that's really, really actually kind of simple. Let's listen. So how are you going to get your focus back? Well, let me give you some counterintuitive ways to do it. The first thing that I need you to know in order to get your focus back is to realize that you need to make fewer decisions. Fewer decisions. Why? Well, as we know from neuroscience and we know from productivity studies, that the more decisions that we actually make, the more our brain becomes fatigued, right? The more decisions that we make, the more we utilize the glucose that's really fueling our willpower, that's fueling our, our frankly, our, our ability to make more decisions and higher quality decisions. Matter of fact, the more decisions that you tend to make, the less effective you're gonna be over the long term because you're gonna utilize your ability and your resources and your brain's power, literally your willpower, will go out the window. So, Jonathan, it's an it's a interesting thing. He says, okay, the first thing to do is make fewer decisions. And you think about that and think, well, wait a minute. Is it really that easy? Simple. Say it again? I said keep it simple. Well, and that's his point. You've got to keep it simple. We've got to make sure that the things that we're doing are in line. With, with the big picture. And that's the point of making fewer decisions. We tend to have to make more decisions when we're more scatterbrained, 
when we're more double and triple minded. So it's a matter of keeping it simple, making fewer decisions. So Jesus sets a foundation for this process of making fewer decisions. Let's go to Matthew 6, 22 to 24. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is dark, how great is that darkness? So Jesus is giving us a sense of clarity. He's saying the eye, not only what you see, what you're seeing, but what you want to see. If what you are seeing and what you want to see is not clear, not focused, not in the direction it needs to be, then you're looking toward darkness. And that really comes down to making fewer decisions because it's a matter of focusing on the the most important thing and then doing things in relation to the most important thing and being able to sort of put everything else kind of aside. Okay, so so let's continue that verse. Uh, We are in Matthew 6. Let's go to uh, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Okay, you can't serve both. So, Jonathan, uh, Jesus here is clear about being single-minded. What are some practical ways we can identify the potential of personally serving two masters. We don't want to serve two masters. How do we, how do we, how do we get our thinking to, to understand all of that? Well, Rick, if you have potential of serving two masters, if you don't take care of several things, such as mental and emotional well-being, physical well-being, and spiritual well-being, and the first one, mental and emotional, good thing in, uh, means good things out. What about those influences in your life? TV, radio, books, music, podcasts? Choose wisely. Okay, so, you know, what we have to do is we have to understand that you've got to look at your life. You've got to look at what's happening and look at what's going on and decide that what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to look at my life. And, and, and there were three, three basic areas you, you mentioned. What were they? Mental and emotional well-being, okay. physical well-being, and spiritual well-being. Okay, mental and emotional, physical, and spiritual. We have to be able to pay attention to those areas so that we can know what it is that's going on with those things. We want to be very, very clear on all of that. So with that in mind, great, great soundbite coming up. Um, let's go to Tony Robbins, and um, this is from the, uh, the uh, website Absolute Motivation, Move Forward Each Day by 1%. Really short soundbite, but it's really powerful what he talks about in terms of focus and getting yourself in order. Let's listen to this. Yeah, who you spend time with is who you become. Because whoever you spend time with affects your beliefs and your values and your need for their love, their attention, their significance will affect. If I'm going to play tennis and I play someone worse than I am on a regular basis, I am not going to get better. Right. So you play sexy. Yeah, well, you do that. Even if, you, even if you play terrible, your skill sets are going to grow significantly because of your desire to connect and to play at that level. So it's really simple. He says, who you spend time with is who you become. And his point is, spend time with those 
that you want to become like, not with those that might be going in the wrong directions. Focus because you. they can hurt your values from someone that you don't respect or appreciate. Right, exactly. You want to be really clear on how to put all of that in perspective. Who you spend time with is who you become. Being single-minded has everything to do with your decisions in terms of spending your time. Finally, we found someone that speaks faster than you do. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. He really does. I mean, he can he can move it. I'll tell you, I, I couldn't keep up with him. And the man is like six foot seven inches tall. I mean, he could step on me and, and out talk me all at the same time. <laughs> really interesting uh, motivator, and uh, he knows so much about you know kind of getting into the internals of of your life. Let's go back to scripture, though. James takes a very spiritually single-minded approach to perceiving our personal experiences and giving us a step-by-step process to attain it. All right, so we're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to break it into several steps. There's six steps here that he's talking about developing this spiritually single-minded approach. Not just being single-minded, but spiritually single-minded. So James chapter 2, let's start, or chapter 1 rather, let's start with verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, consider it all joy. I, you know, when you, when you encounter trials, when you encounter trouble. And like, who wants to do that when you're having trouble? But he says you can do that by knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So when we look at that first step, what is it that that step one is telling us with considering it all joy when you in, in, encounter various trials? Well, Rick, do we see the trial or do we see the purpose? What you see determines your mind. Do you see the trial or do you see the purpose? Remember Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. What are you seeing? If you see the trial, you're going to end up being double-minded. If you see the purpose and you say, well, I don't know what the trial's for. Okay, but what's the purpose? It's to make me a better Christian. So even if you don't know the specifics, you know the direction. See the purpose not just the trial. Verse uh, 4 of James chapter 1. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. Okay. I'm sorry. Incomplete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so that you may be perfect. So now wait, are are we really, can we really be perfect? Because, I mean, James says you can be perfect. No, you can't. So, you know, the word for perfect, let endurance have its perfect uh, result. The word for perfect means complete, as in fulfilled. In other words, let endurance go through and do what it's supposed to do over time so that you can be fulfilled, so you can go through and develop the way you're supposed to over time, and you can be complete, which means you can be whole, not lacking anything. So when we look at this as the next step, the first step was do we see the trial or do we see the purpose? This is about how to become single-minded inside our heads. The second step, based on verse 4, is what? Spiritual single-minded is a choice. It requires time and serious effort to develop. Okay, it's a choice. And of course, you know, that sounds overly simplified, but it's true. Spiritual single-mindedness is absolutely positively, beyond the shadow of any doubt, something that you decide is going to be important to you 
and you decide it strongly enough so that you make it the priority. And, and Jonathan, it's one thing to have a ch- make choices, but it's another thing to set priorities. I like that. And if we don't set priorities, we can't be single-minded. And so James is really, really focusing us on that. So step one, do you see the trial or do you see the purpose? Step two, spiritual single-mindedness is a choice, but it takes effort to make it. Verse five of James one. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay. Making the choice. Sometimes we not, look, let's be blunt. Sometimes we're not spiritually smart enough to know what to do. We just don't know what to do. James takes that into consideration and says, okay, ask God. Ask God. Look for spiritual wisdom. Don't look for wisdom from the guy who works next to you. He's not spiritually minded. Don't do what he does because maybe he's doing the right thing. Maybe he's not. Find spiritual guidance. So what's the third step in in setting up this spiritual, single-minded approach to our lives? Spiritual, single-minded requires spiritual wisdom. If we truly want such wisdom, ask. Okay, you can't be spiritually single-minded unless you're using spiritual wisdom, period. There's no halfway on this. There's no discussion on this. There's no, but what about this circumstance on this? If you're not spiritually minded through spiritual wisdom, and when I say spiritual wisdom, I don't mean what the universe has to say to you. I mean God Almighty through his word has to say. That's where spiritual wisdom comes from. And if you want that kind of wisdom, we need to ask. Verse, so that was the third step. Spiritual single-mindedness requires spiritual wisdom. Verses 6 and 7, 6, 7 and 8 of James chapter 1. But he must ask in faith without any doubt. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so first you have to be seeking spiritual wisdom. You've got to ask. And then James goes into this idea of being double-minded, of being driven and tossed by the wind because if we're not asking with faith. If, so if we're doubting. Now here's the problem, Jonathan. Most of us have doubts. We do. Even when we have faith, we often have doubts mixed in with the faith. Yep. So is James saying that, okay, you know, you guys are really all washed up. You know, you're going to get just washed ashore with whatever the, the, the waves have to bring you. I mean, here's the key. Our, well, step, step, again, step one, do we see the trial or do we see the purpose? Step two, we have to make the choice for spiritual single-mindedness. And step three, to make that choice, to act on it, we need spiritual wisdom. What's step four based on those verses about doubt? Our asking must be a focus, ask, else nothing will come from it. Here is where things can easily break down. All right, this is where it breaks down. This is where this is where our looking for single spiritual single mindedness, Jonathan, becomes like a New Year's resolution. Okay, and you know what happens to most New Year's resolutions? They fade away. They do, and they fade away pretty quickly. Yep. And too often we say, "Okay, 
I'm going to do it differently now. I'm tired of vacillating between the two. I'm tired of being two-spirited. I'm tired of all that. And we decide and we get focused and then we start moving forward and then it falls flat on its face in about, I don't know, a week or a day or a month or whatever it is. Why? Because our asking wasn't focused and we're not really grabbing hold of spiritual wisdom. So James is going through all of these steps and saying, you know, there's a process here that you've got to follow. Now he takes an interesting, really, really interesting turn with developing this spiritual single-mindedness. And he gets really personal with different kinds uh, of, of individuals within the brotherhood. James uh, chapter 1, verse 9. But the brother of a humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Okay. Brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. So a brother who is poor, who doesn't have a lot, who has not been advantaged, who's just scraping by, he says is to glory in his high position. What is James telling us with, with, with that? Spiritual single-mindedness result in seeing yourself through different eyes. First, the glory of being lifted up by God from whatever your earthly state may be. Okay, you have to see yourself through different eyes. And Jonathan, this is a hard thing to do, because if you are of that, in, in that category where you don't have a lot and you've been struggling your whole life and all of that, you tend to see everything as that struggle. And what James is saying is, look, see yourself from God's perspective. God sees you. He called you and he's giving you a high position, not in an earthly sense, but in a spiritual sense. See yourself in that high position. See yourself with the goodness of God holding you up. It doesn't matter what you have. It matters what you're becoming. That's single-mindedness. What about people on the other side of the issue? Of verses uh, 10 and 11 of James chapter 1. And the rich man is the glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuit, will fall away. So now we're talking about someone who's got a lot, who, who's drawn to Christ. And, and Jonathan, you know, Jesus... You know, Jesus can, can, can draw people who are rich and people who are poor. It does not matter. What matters is what we do with what we are, not what we have. And so he's saying that the rich man who's called to Christ needs to glory in his humility because what you have doesn't matter to God. It's what you are becoming. That's spiritual single-mindedness. And if somebody with wealth comes in to become a Christian and starts to flaunt their wealth and all of that, that's double-mindedness. That's not being Christian in, in your thinking because you're, you're putting your, your reliance on what you have, not what you are called to become. You're called to become something higher and beyond all of that. So the sixth step here is what? Spiritual single-mindedness results in seeing yourself through different eyes. Second, the glory of being humbled by God from whatever your earthly state may be. Okay, so see again, see yourself with different eyes. This time, see yourself as being humbled by God and the utter privilege of the humility that God gives us. Doesn't matter what your earthly state is. Single-mindedness and spirituality is 
what are you becoming, and how are you helping others to become what they should be becoming as well. So our mindfulness lesson here to end this segment is what? Double-mindedness blurs spiritual eyesight and cripples spiritual growth. Okay. Double-mindedness blurs spiritual eyesight. It cripples spiritual growth. It's really simple. We've got to watch out for all of that. So the first battle is all in our heads. Figures. It's always a battle that's all in our heads. That's true. And that battle can affect others as well. How does double-mindedness distract us from real and deep fellowship with our brother? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. Now that we've got a grip on fighting the fight for spiritual single-mindedness, we can take those principles and apply them to those around us. Our next priority should be fellow Christians, those closest to us, who are fighting the same battles as we are. True contribution to others, other called-out ones, can only be given as a result of what we spiritually see. And again, we're talking about true contribution to other people's lives, not just feeling like we're helping out, but true, deep, heartfelt contribution. And, and Jonathan, in that true contribution, you know, a lot of churches get off track on this. Because at churches, we're often asked to give, and we're promised things as a result of that giving. That's not the true contribution that we're talking about. We're talking about something deeper, something much more powerful than that. And so we need to find our spiritual single-mindedness single when we are looking at ourselves, looking at what, what am I doing in relation to the brotherhood around me? Am I being single-minded in my approach toward them? So James continues in chapter 4 with a blunt and revealing assessment of how double-mindedness can derail all of the good that should flow from spiritual fellowship. All right, so spiritual fellowship, good thing, right? Absolutely. So James is saying, you got to be careful, though. With that very good thing, we can make it a very bad thing. And, he's, and he goes into some very specific things in the fourth chapter, uh, James 4, verses 1 through 10, about how it can go bad. So James 4, uh, let's start with verses 1 and 2. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Okay, what's the source of the quarrels among you? How come you're having troubles? I mean, Christians, when you think about it ideally, you've been called, you've been saved, you've got salvation, you've got the grace of God, you've got the love of Jesus. What more could you ask for? Your life should be great. And when you get together with other Christians, it should be all everybody together and huggy and, and happy and, 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 and fellowshipping and studying and lifting each other up. And James is saying, what are you guys fighting about? What's the cause of this? What's the cause of your less than spiritual fellowship? It's the human desires that we naturally carry and will cause spiritual chaos among us. It's our human desires. It's simple. It's, it, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this one out. I could figure this one out. Okay, James said it, but I could have figured it out. Okay, it's what we bring with us, the baggage. 
we want what we want, so we try to get what we want. And even if we're Christian, a lot of times, Jonathan, we just still do that. This is fundamental. It is the fundamental opposite of Christ-likeness, okay? It fundamentally goes against being Christ-like. Let's go to uh, another soundbite from brendanburchard.com on how to stay focused. And uh, he's giving, remember the last time he gave the suggestion of make fewer decisions. Okay, don't expand your mind into everything. Make fewer decisions. Now he's going to bring up something I think that's another really good example of finding a way to become single-minded. So you want to minimize the number of decisions you are making. How do you do that? Well, here's some simple things. One, stop browsing. You know, I know maybe you found me because you were browsing somewhere, and I hope you make me part of your, your, your focus on your personal development, that I'm a purposeful part of your life. But I can tell you, overall, browsing completely wipes out your focus and your willpower. Even all these little things you're focusing on are utilizing all your brain's resources. And over a period of time, when you stop browsing and you go back to focusing on something, guess what? You tend not to be able to focus on one thing and get things done. You start multitasking and doing lots of things, but where your work isn't really focused, nothing gets accomplished. Meaning, it's easier to become distracted the more distracted you are. Meaning, the more that you aren't focusing on one thing at a time, the more problem you're going to have later on to complete one thing at a time. So he says, okay, stop browsing. And browsing is such an easy thing to do. Because the internet is such a big place and you can literally spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week browsing through and you won't touch 1% of the content if you do it for the next 100 years. So, you know, it's a big temptation. And he's saying, stop it. If you want to stay single-minded, if you want to stay focused, stop it. You don't need to be looking at every little thing. You need to be focusing on the most important things. Okay, so... James got us started by saying, okay, the desires that you have are causing the problems. Let's get back to verse the end of verse 2 and into verses uh, 3 and 4 here in James chapter 4 about our double-mindedness in fellowship with fellow Christians. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may Spend it on your pleasures. Okay. Having and feeding such desires leads to the disastrous end in the next verse, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay. Now he talks to the, to, to the Christians that he's writing to, and he calls them adulteresses. Now, that's pretty bad stuff. It is. <laughs> but he's saying friendship with the world is hostility toward God. In other words, you can't entertain and keep both of those things because if you do, you're automatically hostile toward God. So you can't appease both sides because you make God the loser when you start to do that. That's a powerful very powerful, difficult message. So, Rick, James draws a line in the sand of our spiritual fellowship. Yeah. Either be worldly or be godly. Right. He's saying you can't do both, and he, he does. He draws almost a literal line in the sand and says, just like Elijah, 
Choose this day who you will serve. If you want to serve God, go ahead, serve him. But if you want to serve Baal, go ahead, but make a choice. By mixing the two, you've created a recipicity, a recipe, (laughs) (laughs) okay, for opposition to God himself. That's the thing that we have to be really careful of. So how do we avoid that kind of thing? Well, let's go to our next soundbite from rendedburchard.com, how to stay focused, because he just told us to stop browsing. He had already told us make fewer decisions. Now the next point is really important to put into play right here. That leads us to point number two here, which is you must define your mission. You need to have a mission for what you're doing today. You need to have an intention for what your next task is going to be. What happens is most people just kind of show up and they go, okay, well, I guess I'll do some stuff, but they have no intention whatsoever, so they end up doing too many things that mean nothing towards their mission. You should figure out what is it you desire in life and figure out the steps to get there and start working a plan to get there and minimizing everything else. Getting very clear on the mission, very clear on the mission and working the plan. Everything else, guess what it gets? A no. Until you reach that mission or until you're significantly on your way that you have free resources to be able to focus elsewhere. So define your mission. That's what he's saying. And he's being very specific and very clear. Make that choice, define your mission. And and Jonathan, for most of us, you know, I don't know that we go through the 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 depth of the steps necessary to really define a mission. Um, I know for me in my own life, I took this really, really, really seriously many, many years ago. And I actually, I, I, and I, I like to read books about, you know, you know, focusing and all of that. That's a, that's a passion of mine. And, 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 you know, in my own experience, um, I took a lot of time and defined my life mission and it came down to two words and it's oversimplified for most people. But see, what you've got to understand is what those two words do to me inside my own head. And when I take these two words and I apply them to any part, any moment of my life, they make me stop and look and often change direction. So my mission in life is two words. Honor, what is it? Honor God. Oversimplified. But see, to me, those words create this, 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 this massive amount of thought that goes behind it because I have thought through for myself what does it mean to honor God in my family life, in my work life, in my spiritual life, with the brotherhood, you know, with the, my kids, with my grandchildren. What does it mean to honor God? And whenever I'm going down a road that may be a little marginal, if I can get those two words in my head, they just make me think. So define your mission. You need it. Great idea, Rick. And, and it's, it's really important. It's really not, it needs to be much more than an idea. It needs to be an actuality in our lives. Now that James has identified the culprit of our double-minded folly as our own natural desires, and who would have thought, right? It's our own natural desires, but it always is. He lays out the remedy. And here's the key. He gives us the remedy. We're in James chapter 4. Let's go to verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desired the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And Rick, just a side note, some have said that Paul and James were at odds. They say Paul preached faith and James preached works. Not true. James here is quoting Paul 
in calling Scripture. You know, and that's a huge thing. A lot of writers say, you know, you know, James is all about works and Paul's all about faith. But James had such respect for the Apostle Paul, he, 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 he quotes what he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, and we'll read that in a minute. And he says, here's Scripture for you. This is inspired words from God himself through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Don't tell me those guys were at odds. They were both single-minded. They may have used different words, but they were single-minded and they were fighting the same fight and they were fighting it next to each other, supporting each other and building each other up. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Okay, glorify God in your body. Why? Because your body is the temple. Your body holds the power and influence of God. So, so Jonathan, the begetting of God's Spirit is clearly the ingredient that can obliterate the mess. It can, it can plow away all of, the, all of the, the disaster so we can get clear again. How do we enhance and focus on that begetting in place of our own natural desires? How do, how do we make that change from natural desires to the begetting of the Spirit? Well, Rick, for me, it's setting up barriers in our lives so that our fleshly desires are diminished. Uh, one example, um, I have direct TV. I got it for football, and basically it was way too much money, taking up way too much time, and then I got lazy at night, started watching movies, and things of no value. And I said to my wife one morning, enough of the waste of this time, I'm going to get rid of those 200 channels and all that money that I'm spending, and find a provider that has just a few options, and... I added study and exercise at night when I'm tired instead of just watching a mindless movie. Boy, that's a huge change. That's amazing. And, and you know, that is such a powerful thing because, you know, so many, so many moving parts to that. You were kind of going along in the way that most of us would go along, and then you, you, you had the courage to look at yourself and say, eh, not so much. Not so, in my words, not honoring God. Exactly. And so, and, and then, here's the thing, folks. Then he does something about it. And he doesn't do something small. He does something big. Why? Because it was too important to be single-minded. And so you took the natural desires and you put them aside. I, that's a, such a huge, huge example of making that work for us in our daily lives. Thank you. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that because Absolutely. that's a big deal. It really is. Okay, continuing uh, with James now. Again, he's giving us the remedy. He's helping us to see things in, in, in a better place than, than giving into our natural desires. And this is in our fellowship with one another that we're talking about here. So we're in James chapter 4. We're now in verses uh, 6 and 7. But it gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from it. Okay, submit to God, resist the devil, and that puts things in, in, in place. Make the choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. That's Joshua twenty four fifteen. Submit to one and resist the other. Submit to one 
and resist the other. It's not enough to just submit to one. You have to resist the other. You can't do one without the other because otherwise you're still being double-minded. Once you decided to follow through with decisive and single-minded steps, then James chapter 4 verses 8 through 10 become very, very relevant to your everyday life. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Okay. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Focus your target and move towards that target. You've got to know what the target is. You know, and Jonathan, you knew in that personal experience, you knew what the target was. And you, yes. knew, and you knew that you were just shooting the arrows off into the air all around just because it was kind of kind of a fun thing to do and decided no more of that. No exactly. more of that. I'm, I'm going for the target now. Clean up your actions. Get your heart right. That's what single-mindedness is about. And when we are dealing with one another, when we're dealing with each other in our lives, we have to be so clear and so careful that we're not hurting others in our chosen way of dealing with things. So, Jonathan, what is our mindfulness lesson to wrap up this segment? Double-mindedness undermines and destroys spiritual fellowship and co-laboring. Okay, if we're double-minded and we're bringing that into the fellowship, we can undermine and destroy the spirituality of that fellowship. So single-handedly, Jonathan, you or I, if we bring that double-mindedness into that, into that category, we can blow it up. And that's not that's very good. True. And that's <laughs> not God on No, not even in the least. And sometimes blowing it up feels good because it's like, hey, I feel like talking about this, or I feel like you know, inserting my, my, my influence this way or that way. But it's not spiritually minded. Folks, if you're a Christian, spiritual mindedness has got to be the biggest thing. So the state of mind can have a dramatic effect on the brotherhood around me. It can, and it will. An even broader question, how does double-mindedness hinder or even break up our everyday interpersonal relationships? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Yeah, let, let's get more complicated. If something has a rotten core, you can be sure that what comes from it is will be rotten as well. For the Christian, being double-minded is akin to having that rotten core, for we have essentially taken the name of Jesus and spoiled it. How does that look to those who look at us as ambassadors for Christ? And Jonathan, I, I, I phrased it in a harsh way on purpose. Being double-minded as a Christian is like having a rotten core because you are, you are polluting the reflection of Jesus to others. And I don't know, we, we just, we, 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 I, we can't, you can't stand for that. We just can't stand for that. Let's go, before we get into this in terms of our dealing with the world around us, or to help us. Let's go to another soundbite. This is from uh, Debbie Sib Sibler. She did a TED Talk. 
called Stop Sabotaging Yourself. And she's talking about a young man who kind of comes to the realization that there's more to life than what he's been doing. And, you know, it, and we all come to those realizations at, at one point or another. It's a very, you know, very worldly example of somebody coming to that point of saying, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here with my everyday? And finally, take Greg, who for the last 20 years has been meeting up with his buddies every week, where they get together, grab a beer, and complain about their jobs and their wives. And one day it hits him, you know, there's got to be something more than this. So Greg decides to do some personal development work. He starts watching a few TED Talks. <laughs> and after a couple of weeks, he's becoming inspired by all he's learning, how he's growing. And he realizes, you know, it's not fun to complain about his job anymore, especially without a plan to do something about it. When he sees his friends, of course he wants to talk to them about it. He's all lit up. He wants to share what he's learning. Secretly, he's hoping to inspire them too. Instead, they just make fun of him in his new ways. As they do, this is when Greg realizes he's outgrown them. He has less and less in common with them, and he feels torn. He'd have to explain way too much if he stops meeting up with them each week. So it's a great example because it's the kind of thing that happens to a lot of people quietly, and you never hear about it. You come to a realization that life is not what it should be, and you decide, i got to do something different. And then you start to look into it and start to gain the strength and start to gain the direction. And then you meet with resistance. And all of a sudden, that power and inspiration starts to falter because now, ah, the people I'm around, they don't like it so much. It's not so good. Or is it? What do I do? And that, that creates the problem. And that's where double-mindedness comes back into play. So let's continue now. Let's go to the Apostle Paul. We're going to be focusing this segment on our relationship with the world around us, not just with the brotherhood, not just inside of our own heads, but now moving on to the world around us. The Apostle Paul is specific in what single-minded spiritual attitude and behavior actually look like. He's going to tell us what they look like. And again, this is about how we reflect our Christianity to the world through our everyday lives. Galatians 5, uh, verses 13 through 26, and we're going to break this up throughout the segment. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Okay. You were called to freedom, through love serve one another, but you have the opportunity to mess it all up. <laughs> so he's, he's really saying that you've got this huge calling that, that opens up vistas that you have never dreamed possible. And you can approach those vistas that you never dreamed possible by serving one another through love. And, and, but he says, but you know what? Be careful that you're not, you don't devour one another. You take care that you know, you're not consumed by one another. So in that freedom, it can turn against us. Our single-minded witness to the world is fundamentally attached to our internal personal behaviors as well as our external fellowship behavior. As those called to freedom, we have to live as free. So in this verse, the Apostle Paul was focusing on you know, dealing with one another within the body of Christ. But what we're saying is how we treat each other within the body of Christ is going to reflect 
outside to everybody else. And if we are biting and devouring one another, then that's going to reflect. And how does that look? To name it looks and- awful. <laughs> it does. It looks, it looks not only awful, it is utterly disrespectful. And people look at you because a lot of times, not, not, maybe not always anymore, unfortunately, but a lot of times when people hear that somebody's a Christian, they think, oh, okay, there's, there's somebody who's going to be, you know, at least have a, a moral high road or some kind of integrity or something. And if you don't show that, and you've talked about being a Christian, what are you saying? What are you representing? It just doesn't work. Let's continue with uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the thing that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry, the, de- carry out the desires of the flesh. This is really showing us the, the uh, ingredients for being able to present ourselves to the world in a very, very clear way. The beginning of a single-minded spiritual witness to those around you is the all-the-time display of how we handle ourselves in private, amongst ourselves, and in public. What we do, what do others see when they look at me? And that's the question we have to continually ask ourselves. And the answer will tell us, Jonathan, I think, if we're being single-minded or double-minded. Because if people see an example that, that takes their breath away in a good way, like, wow, there's a person that you just don't see that often. Look, look, look at the, 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 the zeal, the love, the kindness, the wisdom, the integrity that they live their lives with. There's something about them that's different. That's what we want. You know, this is a three-legged stool here. Our, 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 our witness is, is about how we treat our, ourselves in private, what goes on inside of our heads, amongst ourselves, and in public. You put those three together, and you created a complete, solid life that can be single-minded. But again, it's not easy to accomplish. Let's go back to brendanburchard.com, how to stay focused. And, you know, he's, he was talking about, remember uh, earlier, talking about defining your mission and how important it is to define that mission. And now he's just talking about what has to happen along with focus. Because and here's another thing. Focus goes out the window when we don't have progress, right? If we're not progressing towards something, our focus goes out the window. We just, we just don't pay attention to anything. We don't feel good about ourselves. You want to get more focus in your life? Get more progress. As you progress more, you start to get excited. You start to pay attention to things that are working, that are moving you forward, and you start to find more focus in your life. Okay, focus needs progress. And that is a simple and profound statement. We need to be progressing in that mission, in that single-mindedness to serve Christ and nothing else. And if we're not progressing, we get bored. You lose interest. And then you become double-minded. And then it's not so important anymore. So, you know, we're, we're looking at this, and we're in Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 13 to 26, we're up to verse 19, and again, it's about how do I come across to the people in general on the outside looking in? Verse 19, 20, and 21 are pretty powerful uh, evidences of things, places we don't want to go. 
Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so when we look at that, we look at that incredible list. We often look at those behaviors listed in the text, and we apply it to others. Oh, I know people who are like that. So, Jonathan, how can, how can these behaviors seduce us, even if we have our guard up? How can, how can they get through, even if we're paying attention? Well, Rick, uh, we need to ask ourselves the question, what are our weaknesses? How can we improve in these areas? I look at this list not towards others, but to myself. My flesh is full of the, but my good choices can, can gain victory. And I had a solution, something that came to me recently, is live your life with grace. Jesus did. And if you live your life with grace, those awful things in that list will become diminished. Okay, so live your life with grace. Now, see, that's something powerful because it's a matter of that single-mindedness. And we look, we're not capable of just changing things on our own, but we are capable of relying upon the grace of God to help us, to give us the strength, the direction, and the, and, and the patience and the endurance to work toward changing things. And yes. so what you're saying here is you look at that list and you say, okay, within that list... I'm going to look at myself. I'm not going to bother with others. What, are the, what kinds of effects do those things have, those nasty things have in my own life? Change that internal perspective, raise it up, and then you will automatically be a better witness to the world around you in a much bigger and better way than you could have ever imagined. So that's a great piece of advice. Let's look at this scripture as one of those mirror scriptures where it's, it's all about you know, I am looking at me and making me uh, toe the line, if you will, to, to, to be clearer, to, to, to be from the inside out more focused so that I can be a better representation of Jesus uh, and his sacrifice and his steps. So after that horrible, horrible list, we also now next... We have an incredibly wonderful list that we'd love to slow down and take each, each piece and do a whole segment <laughs> you know, on each piece. Uh, verses 22 through 26 of uh, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ... Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become most challenging one another, envy one another. Okay, so really what we're looking at here is we're trying to determine how to put all of this in, in order. Paul pours out remedy characteristics for fleshly and double-minded behavior. He's, he doesn't just you know, throw you a remedy here or there. I mean, he's just literally, he's soak, making you soaking wet with, 
remedy characteristics for fleshly, double-minded behavior. He reminds us that the Spirit brings us life, and in turn, we're to walk according to its guidance and its instruction. And that means applying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And Jonathan, I can't help but think about your previous experience you know, that, that you, you talked about with your own life and, and, and the changes that you made. And you know, I see all of these things jumping out as a result of that change. That's absolutely. How, that's how you become more single-minded. It really, really is clear. And you know, folks, it's just a matter of saying, "Hey, look, there is a remedy. I just have to decide that I want to be involved with the remedy and not involved with the problem." You know, you've heard the saying, "You're either part of the problem or part of the solution." Yep. Single-mindedness and double-mindedness—the same thing. If you decide that, well, you know, being being single-minded is too hard, okay, then you're part of the problem. Become part of the solution. How? Focus on love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Just put yourself in a position to, to, to be the witness. And again, what do people think of when they see you, the people that you work with, the people that you see periodically, do they see somebody who stands for something, who has integrity, who shows love and kindness and mercy and wisdom? Do they see that? Or do they see somebody who just sort of blends in with the rest of everybody else? What kind of witness to Christ am I? And is my witness a single-minded witness or is it double-minded? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, alien stranger, to abstain from lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evil do, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, so, you know, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Not now, necessarily, but in the day of visitation later. So he's telling us, as aliens and strangers, here's the key. You got to be acting different. You know, now an alien, you know, we don't, we're not talking about a space alien. <laughs> but, you know, an alien, somebody that's not from the, the home country, if you will, and, and, and a stranger. And, and, you know, we can do that together. We can be strangers together in this world. That's part of what that fellowship in, in, the, in the previous segment was all about. Standing for something that even if you are persecuted, persecuted for it, even if you're made fun of, even if you're looked down upon, they'll remember later and they'll look at that and say yeah i remember that example from that person and they stood for something and later when the day of judgment comes around and everybody's going to have to 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 essentially report in for all the things that they said and did they'll remember and they can glorify god saying ah i saw an example of that in my life i made fun of it then but boy i learned from it now so our external witness now will have eternal effects later. Single-mindedness is serious business because if your external witness isn't good, it still has long-term effects. Make that external witness a single-minded witness uh, for Jesus. So Jonathan, what is our mindfulness lesson here with this, this part? Double-mindedness in our spiritual witness to others makes us look worse off than those we are witnessing to. That's a, that's a pretty sad thing when you think about it. It makes us look worse off 
than the people that we're witnessing to. I mean, you don't want to be worse off than the people you're trying to show the way to. So it really comes down to, look, my double-mindedness will make Jesus look bad. Now that needs serious cleaning up. It does, and the good news is we can do it. If we are single-minded in personal experiences, fellowship, and with everyone else, what's left? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Somebody once said that the price for success is paid in full and up front. To finish our in full payment to be single-minded, Christians, we need to now focus on our worldview. Prophecy does dictate how we should see the world. The question is, do we see the world through prophetic eyes? And that really is an incredible key. Our single-mindedness can be understood by the way we view the world in which we live. Are we seeing the world through the eyes of God's will, God's way as shown in prophecy, or are we seeing it in a way that's more convenient for me personally? So as we get going on this this final segment, we talked about single-mindedness in our personal lives, every day inside of our own heads. We talked about single-mindedness in fellowship, within the body of Christ, with one another, and how we can really enhance it or destroy it. We talked about single-mindedness uh, in terms of our witnessing, being a living epistle, if you will, to those around us. And now it's, what, what about our worldview? Well, the Apostle Peter helps us to grab hold of our prophetic glass, glasses, if you will, uh, so we can see the world in a spiritually single-minded fashion. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Okay, so prophecy. This is a prophecy that, first of all, it sounds like the, the earth's going to be destroyed. Is that true? Uh, no, it, this is a, a, a figurative expression. It's not literal, uh, a burning up of the whole earth, no. Okay, so it is it is a burning up of the present systems because they need to be replaced with future systems. So, Jonathan, this, this prophecy sounds ominous. It's not literal, but it does sound ominous. What is it really telling us about the future of the social order in which we live? Well, Rick, as Christians, don't be worldly focused. Forget politics. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're not citizens of this world. We represent God's kingdom to come. We're God's first fruits. We know this present evil world will be replaced. Don't hold on to what's falling apart. If your Christian groups are nationalists, you're on the wrong side. Satan's present evil world will be destroyed and replaced with Christ's kingdom full of mercy and forgiveness for the world, the second fruits, the whole world of mankind. Okay, so the idea is that the world is coming to an end 
and it has to come to an end. When I say the world's coming to an end, that sounds ominous. It doesn't mean that, that the earth ends. It means that the social order ends. God has a better plan for it. So, you know, let's, let's be, be clear on that. And, and as a matter of fact, the next couple of verses in Second Peter chapter 3 help us to see that. Go ahead. 11, let's do 11 and 13. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which dwelleth righteousness. Okay. A spiritually single-minded view of the world accepts the trouble of today as the necessary precursor to the righteousness of tomorrow. All right. So the thing is, the trouble of today has been prophesied. God says it has to happen. Are we trying to fix what has to happen? Are we trying to prevent what has to happen? Because if we are, is that really being single-minded in a spiritual way? No, Rick, that's really being double-minded. Because we're standing against the will of God going forward. So this becomes a really touchy, difficult thing to deal with as Christians in a world where everything really is kind of backwards. Okay, so... uh, let, let's go to um, a, another soundbite, again, from Brendan Burchard, uh, How to Stay Focused. And I, I want to set this up because he says something in here that when you, you hear it, your immediate gut reaction is, oh, I can't do that. That's kind of ridiculous. Because when I heard it the first time, I thought, I can't, that's no, I, I can't use this. And the more I thought about it, the more it made some sense to me. So just preparing you, this is a little bit, uh, a little bit different, but he makes what I think is a really important point. Last idea. It's so very 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 simple once you have that mission your job is to try this just for a little while i know it's gonna be uncomfortable and you're gonna hate the idea especially coming from me and that is i just want you to say no to everything immediately from now on always now that goes against the grain of a lot of people say well no 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 life is about saying yes well yeah a lot of people have said yes to everything and that's why they're miserable i want you to say no just at first just so you can check it against your mission, right? If something comes up and you can do it and you're excited about it and and, and someone asks you to do something, I just say, just say no first. It will teach you to say, no, I'm gonna evaluate that first. I'm gonna put some thought to this to see, should I focus on this right now in my life? Yes or no? And build some criteria for yourself. So what he's saying is say no to everything. (laughs) And, And again, I heard that and thought, no, I can't do that. But what he's saying is, until you have your mission so thoroughly set in your mind, you have to be on guard because there's so many ways to easily get derailed, to easily become double-minded, to easily go down the wrong path. Rick, that reminds me of the Old Testament word, sila, pause and consider. Right. Uh, don't make a, a, a rush judgment. Make sure it's in line with following in Christ's footsteps. Exactly, exactly. That's such an important part of this whole, this whole process is to, is to pause and consider. Just let things marinate in relation to your actual most important focus. So the comparison between present-day earthly wisdom and eternal heavenly wisdom, because, you know, in our worldview— Present-day earthly wisdom says you got to protect, you got to hold everything together. Eternal heavenly wisdom, though, is a little bit different, has a different focus, a different, a different source. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. 
yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Okay, so he's saying we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now, this is a wisdom that most people don't understand because it's from God. And most of the people who are bluntly and frankly really smart and in control don't understand God's plan. And so how can we expect them to adhere or even want to listen to God's wisdom when it would seem so contrary to what they would say and so forth? And, and you know, just, just one side point. Well, never mind. I, I, we don't have time for it. Um, it's a matter of being clear. It's a matter of knowing what your source is so you can know what you're going to be doing with that source. Let's continue with uh, verses, uh, or verses, yeah, verse 8 here. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All right. The rulers of this age, if they had understood what the wisdom of God was, they would, they would have seen Jesus. They would have seen him. They would have seen his power. They would have seen his grace. They would have seen him being able to take the, the power of God and heal and direct and teach. And they would have said, this is a man who's different. We should follow him, not we should crucify him because he's messing up our little, our, our little toys. And that's really what ends up happening. And that's what happens with, with earthly wisdom. Double-mindedness. Earthly wisdom, spiritual wisdom rarely are in agreement. And if we're trying to use both, we're being hostile toward God. And that's a harsh statement, but that's the truth of Scripture. A double-minded Christian may easily fall into the trap of seeing God's plan fitting into the present day and the present way. This was the mistake of the Pharisees that we were just talking about, and others back then, and continues to be a mistake of many religious groups. Let's go to one last soundbite. Remember we talked about that, that young man who was trying to change his life and trying to put things in order and said, okay, I've decided I'm going to live my life differently now. It's going to be better. And, and, but his friends started to laugh at him. And so what do you do? How do you focus? How do you, how do you, how do you manage with that? And well, let's just take a look at what can happen uh, to these kinds of situations. Going back to what you know, sabotaging your success seems like the much better option. I mean, yes, it keeps you small, but you also feel it keeps you safe because your head is spinning with ideas like, will these changes lead me to lose my friends, my job security? Will you hear how selfish or crazy you are? Will you have to deal with judgment or criticism at the same time you're dealing with your own self-doubt about what you're up to? These are big questions. Thinking is hard. Change, that's even harder. Because these changes could impact so much, create such a snowball, such a domino effect, you do everything you can to make the feelings go away. So what she's saying is our gut reaction is we see the value of the change and we see the power of the change and the inspiration of the change and then we try to fight the change because there's so much standing against the change that we try to make those feelings go away. We try to ignore it. We try to downplay it. And Jonathan, that's being stuck in double-mindedness. 
It is, Rick. And any Christian that gets stuck in that situation, look, being honest, let's be honest, we're not glorifying God if we do that. We just aren't. And, 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 and look, it's hard. I know it's hard. She says, you know, thinking and change are hard. Of course they are. And just because, look, maybe you're stuck there and you want to change. Good. You have that desire. That's a great place to start. And maybe you try and you fail. Good. You tried. Get up and try again. A just man falls seven times and rises up again. We have got to just get on the path. And here's the thing. If you are trying to change your life, and maybe you're failing along the way, but you keep on trying, you know what? People notice the effort. They notice that, you're, that you are fighting something. And even if you fall, there is a growing appreciation in the hearts and minds of those looking at you by saying, that person doesn't want to be like that. Look at them fight. And that is a glory to God. To be spirit-minded is to see God's plan as a remedy for the present day and the present way, which means that the present things are the illness for which God's plan provides a cure. So here it is, Jonathan. We need spiritual antibiotics to kill the infection of sin in the world. We're not supposed to protect the sin in the world. The sinful governments, the sinful ways need to be killed off by, by an inoculation of spirituality. You don't preserve those things. You get rid of those things and replace them with something very healthy. And verses, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which hath not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. To be spiritually single-minded as we view our world is to thoroughly adopt and embrace the hope of prophecy based upon Jesus' ransom sacrifice and to let go of this world. And Rick, God's got this. That's the bottom line. You see, it's so tempting to say, I'm a Christian and I... And, you know, actually, next week, Jonathan, we're going to be talking about who and what should Christians support. And this, this is kind of, this last segment here is kind of an introduction into the difficulty of that. Because, frankly, you look at the world, and there's lots of good causes in the world. I mean, there are lots of legitimately good causes. And as Christians, are we supposed to be getting behind all of those good causes and saying, you know, you want to help your fellow man? I want to help my fellow man. I do. I want to be generous. I want to be kind. I want to be merciful. I want to be a good example. How far do we go with giving that help? Because are we trying to prop up something that's supposed to be washed away according to prophecy? Where do you draw the line in being spiritually minded in this world when there are things that are actually you know, reasonable to support? Should we support them a lot, a little, not at all? Should we ignore them? Should we criticize them? What should we do? That's all coming next week. Um, off on a tangent there a little bit. but uh, so, so, Jonathan, let's wrap this up. What is our mindfulness lesson here for this segment in dealing with seeing the world through prophetic eyes and not natural eyes? Double-mindedness is our spiritual view of this world will create attachments to the present order that will make our steps forward falter as they steal away our future hope. Okay, so... If we are double-minded, 
in our spiritual view of the world. Okay, we're, we, we claim the name of Christ. We're walking as a Christian, but we're double-minded. What ends up happening is we end up creating attachments to this world that we really don't need to have. And be, by doing that, our steps forward begin to falter because we steal away the future hope. If we're attached to what is, and what is is supposed to be replaced, then what's that saying about our hope for the future? We're not like, we're not like hoping for it fully. Uh, 75%. That's double-mindedness. We've got to work on that to grow into that. One last scripture, Jonathan, before we close out. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's kind of the bottom line of uh, single-mindedness versus double-mindedness. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? How do you do that? Well, we've spent quite a bit of time focusing on several ways, several scriptural principles to put us in a position where that can actually begin to come around in our lives. But the bottom line, Jonathan, is it's a choice. That's what it is. That's what it always has been. That's what it always will be. It's a choice. We have to decide to be single-minded and then decide to act on the single-mindedness and then decide to get up when we fall down, when we get double-minded, and decide to act again and again. Have that mission. Solidify that mission. Make it move you so that your single-mindedness for Christ ends up being an honor and glory to God Almighty and to Jesus our Lord. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's all about how we think. Am I a double-minded Christian? If you are, the good news is you can change it. You just have to decide, act on that decision, and stick to it. So, again, single-mindedness, the most important thing. Think about it. And folks, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcasting channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, again, we'll be talking about who and what should Christians support. Look forward to that and talking to you again next week.